Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, Brennan here. Thanks for tuning in to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you want to reach out or follow us, we're on Facebook and YouTube as 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as 25 Years of VTM, and on our website at 25yearsofvtm.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade presents Requiem. And this time we are going to be speaking about New Wave Requiem, uh, which is an interesting book. And as you probably noticed, this is DJ, um, but there's no Bob. Bob unfortunately had to sit this one out as his voice is shot, but we will do Bob proud. Um, and when I said we, it's not only me as DJ, but it is also Brentron. Uh, hey, everyone. Yeah, I was I was worried for a second. Like, did you Shang Tsung Bob? Uh, no. Could there, could Bob there would be find only us. one? Did you Highlander him? I think that's topical for this one. Was that the 80s or I, the 90s? Oh, no, it definitely was the 80s, but I don't oh, think I Shang Tsung. <laughs> right, because if I would have taken his soul, I'm pretty sure that Bob would have been closer to, like, Mithras. And, and at one point or another, uh, his mannerisms would have started taking over. Um, but that's a different vampire line. But uh, getting back into it, <laughs> they'll get it. Um, but like getting back into it, as we were mentioning, we, we have an interesting book today, and it is New Wave Requiem. And to be honest, this one caught me off guard when it first came out, uh, as it did, you know, one of the things I should probably mention in the beginning is usually as a, as a buyer, right, especially as a, a consumer who just sees these books come out and you're like, oh, man, I'm going to pick up the next Requiem book because you're a completionist or you're very eager to see what comes out. In the history of vampire books that we've ever received, to my knowledge, I don't think we've had a book specifically written with like a specific decade in mind. Do you know Brentron? I might have missed something along the way. So um, I didn't discover this book until after I'd already like gotten some of the Dark Eras books for, for Chronicles. So the uh, after going through that, the idea of there being like different time periods that aren't like, you know, hella way back like dark ages like that wasn't anything new to me it did kind of throw me off oh there's a whole book about it but um when i started going through it it kind of made sense because this book's like what 66 pages like an entry in probably like twice the size of a standard entry in the dark eras books right right so i had the the uh i'll say the benefit of like heavy retrospectives when i actually came across it but when it came out in like what this is this is 2009 period Right. Mm-hmm. This is like the first first historical setting for Requiem, at least maybe Chronicles as a whole. I can't honestly remember. Um, but yeah, it was just what, 20 years, <laughs> 20 years back. Something it does seem incredibly it. weird. It does, especially considering that we're reviewing it now. And um, you, by comparison to me, are a little bit younger than I am. And I remember just being a week in. Born in 83, right? They always usually tell you, like, hey, sometimes when you're born into an era, you usually take the music or you appreciate the music of the era that you're in more than you do the one that you anticipate going into. So I'm like an 80s baby. I was all about, you know, 80s music in general. But I never got to really appreciate it in the fashion of understanding the era outside of the movies that we've watched before. And this book, like I said, caught me as a left hook because, you know, as we're going through it, it changed my perspective a little bit of why you would choose certain eras to role play in. Mm-hmm. Right. Up until this moment in time, I think that we had just kind of taken vampire to be um, modern age 
um, whether that had been in the early 90s when, you know, Masquerade had popped out all the way to, through the end of Revised in the early 2000s. But we always had like the dark eras to refer back into because that was like the power. That's when everything mm-hmm. kind of happened. All the big power plays happened. Not to say anything happened before then, but that's the one that the setting kind of like focused in on. So with the 80s, Brendan, what do you remember out of the 80s or how do you interpret? Why would they even choose the 80s as a setting? What, what do I remember out of the 80s? DJ, well, I, mean, I was born in I was born in 92. I wasn't Jesus. even I wasn't even near the finish line for that. But um no, I, I think I can actually tell you tell you why uh the uh the eighties specifically. I mean like I think recently the eighties had like a huge comeback in pop culture. Right. We had things like uh like Stranger Things popping up. Um the freaking new wave, like synth wave music made a huge mm-hmm. comeback starting like, you know, a decade ago. So I can definitely see that nostalgia. Um, but the when I think 80s, I think of one of the inspirational like films listed in this book of um, I can't even remember the title. It might just be Wall Street with Gordon Gecko. You know, the famous greed is good quote. That would, correct. Correct. That like, Wall rampant. Street. Yes. That rampant growth and like almost like psychopathy <laughs> that people associated with the uh, like the white collar uh, uh, business execs or stock traders. Right. I think that's um, that highlights a lot of aspects of, of vampire in general. Right. Like that cutthroat approach to vampire politics or the literal bloodthirstiness that uh, we, we know and love in our vampires. Right. And I think that's what what captures us. You you mentioned something important. And I think this is another thing that we've kind of also seen in the book that I don't think I've seen before is. This book, on top of giving you a couple of inspirational movies, and we usually get books with it, actually provides us a mixtape list. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. I actually created this playlist out of sheer curiosity to see how I would feel about it. And I've got to say, I I actually agree with, like, you know, the the music and choices that were kind of given here. I'm a very big fan of, like, Dead Can Dance, Joy Division, um, Definitely Ministry, I See Chameleon's UK. David Bowie is part of it too, Bauhaus. Like mm-hmm. the list goes on and on, folks. But it's it's actually really cool because when listening to it, it does capture the era of the feel. And I think one of the things that even though we have like mood music in the background, so to speak, there's always club music playing at one point or another, I've never put into effect, I would say, getting a playlist to kind of put me in the mood to want to play in a specific era. Right? Whatever that may or may not be. Even if it's a more modern night one, I don't have like a specific soundtrack that came with it. And I don't think any of the books that would provide it to us given us suggestions before for a mixtape. So that that mm-hmm. was something that kind of also affected the way that I'm looking at the information and how I'm soaking it in. Um, have you heard of any of these tracks before? I have heard. I've heard of, of course, Ace of Spades, uh, Fight the Power. Um, right. That's about that's about it. I mean, um, I listened to like a lot of the Misfits, but I've not heard Die, 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 My, Dar- my Darling. It's a good um, one. Of course, Joy Division, but no. Uh, but the uh, not a lot of these tracks, but the idea of a mixtape or playlist, it's not really that foreign to me, honestly, like on the uh, on the server when we were gaming a lot, uh, especially with some of the Sabbat games, like some of the packs would come together and like make playlists for the game. It was That's always something true. like in uh, in in creation, but uh, I always enjoyed doing that. So this didn't really seem weird, but it was I can definitely see this. I think a mixtape for a historical setting is is really almost close to like the 80s or the 70s some of those airs that has like um big musical like genres or feels that we're used to 
at least mm-hmm. at least for me if we were about to do like a 1920s uh 1920s game i couldn't tell you what music we'd play other than jazz true true um and and just thinking about that as well i think that um once again as it's encapsulating a time period and you mentioned before that we're having like a resurgence back into it it was impactful and it brings us to like why the 80s again i didn't recognize this and it's probably just because of my own ignorance originally that the 80s had a bigger impact than we thought it did right having lived through it and especially those of us who came i guess the closest event that we would have now is pre mobile devices that we currently have now or even pre pre like uh Verizon or optimum speeds or pre fiber right optic fiber uh internet back in the mm-hmm. days of before like 14.4 when AOL was first coming out and the big boom was just as we were starting to get into the internet to where we currently are in a very very short period of time like that drastic change is something that seems to be represented in the 80s and the reason i say that is because in the 80s we started getting things like video cassettes more so mm-hmm. than before right we left beta mm-hmm. in terms of vhs we started getting big bulky mobile devices that started to happen um those big tech- old sat phones right right the big old sat phones partying was at an all-time high not that it wasn't before but it was much more in the limelight of what was going on sex drugs rock and roll 12 explosive and, degree and in that scene how much did like cocaine play like a specific part in that because cocaine existed before that obviously but when i think 80s you know i think scarface i think uh um medellin cartel when that stuff really started like just coming in by the literal tons into america you know it's funny you should mention that because people like to party and or stay awake and um a lot of the things that we're looking at here are going to you can't party when you're asleep right well you're <laughs> right the you whole can't... point you can't party when you're asleep you're on wall street we've all seen wolf of wall street for the most part you gotta stay up and running right you're Uh at a club up and running you're watching scarface that drug lord needs to have a a party crew to be able to keep people entertained and 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 engaged you know in, in what they're doing and this goes back to what i was mentioning before this is a decade especially for vampires where there's a huge shift between what had occurred the decades prior where there was a slow growth and yes we know that you know, our elders um, are always going to remain static, but they've never seen such a power gap as they did in the 80s, where our neonates now have a strict advantage in a very short amount of time. There's money being thrown around. Capitalism is good. Greed is good, as you were mentioning, mm-hmm. right? Now there, it's a threat because it seems like now you get to close the gap a lot quicker um, than what others anticipated. And it's uh it's like the kurgan says better to burn out than to fade away it's live fast <laughs> die young right it's like you say high speed low drag yes man maybe i should have played an 80s game that might be right up my alley right and so like that's that's what we're talking about here in the setting and i think this is the reason why our, our book is being presented to us in such fashions now that being the case how does this affect everything why why would we even take a look at the 80s in terms of what's going on in the background right so as far as you're like, well, we're taking a look at the book, Brennan, uh, especially when it comes to sections of this book regarding what's moving fast and hard. What drew your attention to it? Um, what drew my attention to it? Uh, most of it was, uh, well, we kind of talked a lot about that, right? The the age of excess being that whole thing. Um, the uh, the idea, because when I when I first heard when I was going through 
uh, New Wave Requiem, right? Like I got uh, as I'm reading it, like I, I I don't know if you do this. I do this a lot as I'm reading it, like I'm picturing I'm playing through like scenes that I could run as a player, or as an as an ST, right? And a lot of that is, uh, well, a lot of the the partying is what comes to mind. And that's specific in my mind to the 80s, right? That that carefree uh, uh, existence. But um, you I think you mentioned something uh, a little bit earlier that uh, that. Filled a missing piece in my mind as to a, a part of this book, and that is um throughout the 80s we have very famous things that were happening right like iran contra and mm-hmm. um uh things like that right big like news stories that came out and it didn't click in my mind until i think you said something a little bit ago that uh the it, with that excess and that greed of the 80s comes that corruption right and that that corruption that vampires especially in our political games always try to to cultivate or exploit and that was um i feel that was almost unique to the 80s as well like certainly we had watergate handled before in like what the 70s mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it felt like there was a big string of like investigative journalism coming out that iran contra scandal the um what was that journalist's name webb the dark alliance book about uh, the cia funneling in cocaine to help fund these uh central american rebels right and these big conspiracy like corruption scandals that come out. And that that is that is something I've always associated with a vampire. I don't know if you have as well. No, I do. And I think that's, you know, it only reinforces that now is the time, if any at all, for vampires to kind of band together, at least even temporarily in a very, very like outward facing way. It kind of reminds me of the intro story. And it's the intro story kind of reads out, folks. I'm just going to plain out, say it. it reads like the beginning of like, a John Hughes movie, right? <laughs> in the beginning of it, it's just like all these vampires at one point or another, like your basic 80s story. It's like, hey, it's a Friday night. Night's looking good. Let's go pick up the jock. Let's go pick up the prep. Let's go pick up the, the misfit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's all these unlikely people just coming together to head over to Elysium and just make a sound. Why? Because they're a coterie. And fuck it. They need to go ahead and make sure that they show up as a coterie so they send a strong message to anyone that's around um, that they mean business one way or another. And I don't think that's not to say that it doesn't happen in more modern games, but it's done in such a cinematic fashion um, as it's being framed within the 80s that it makes sense. Or at least it's what we've been given before or fed, right? This also kind of affects why the, the game plays out the way that it does. We told you a little bit earlier that these neonates are banding together and getting more power because they feel they have an advantage over the others. We know that certain others, once again, stay static into the past, but with the, the advent of technology... And with capitalism being what it was, the corruption, once again, the greed, the cocaine, the drugs, the sex, the parties, the rock and roll, um, they have, it's almost like saying they get a, they get a neonate bonus of plus 10 on every role that they have just to be able to exist, just to be able to exist within this era and get a piece of the pie. Uh huh. But it's also dangerous. And could you guess, Brendan, why you think it would be dangerous to play this type of game? The, um, Uh, so with the you're right, I absolutely agree with the the neonates having that that leg up on like the 80s, because I think the 80s was like when momentum of change really started picking up. And that puts elders even more on a back foot when uh, when trying to adapt to these changes, as we saw in that intro story, as you were talking about. But what doesn't uh, 
hinder elders or help neonates is that elders are still stronger than them. And it's great you're making all this money as, as a new blood vampire. It's great you've got all these like big famous friends that you go partying with and like you can pull all these strings, etc., etc. If this elder wants to kill you or rip you apart, he absolutely can. It's like trying to like um, outrun a tiger a lot in these in these situations. At least that's how I would how I would run a game like this. Right. And I agree. Um, and because we're always taking a look at this in retrospect, one of the things about the 80s is. I remember the 80s as a fun time in, in terms of how it's presented once again in movies and from my own experience as well. But as a fun time as it is, the party stops at one point. Right. You run out of energy and maybe you're not as punkish as you thought you were walking around, you know, with with your head, uh, with your mohawk um, and your pins or you're not as goth as you thought you were, at least during that period in time, as you start to grow up and start raising your family. And those stories of how the, you know, you interacted back then don't exist anymore. It was fun at one point to wear like crop tops and spandex, and <laughs> big old shoulder pads, but it eventually it fades out. Right. And so I think for me, what I took away from it or what I'm also looking at this right now is that you foresee a lot of these vampires burning out really, really, really quick because some of them don't know how to wield the power. Right. And it's not only a reflection in terms of them being vampires, but you see this as well with the humans, the mortals that are around, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, a lot of the influences that they're speaking about all over the area give you that big bump of like... (laughs) It's like they, they injected the cocaine into the story and then let you know what the crash was like. And to kind of give some backgrounds of what's happening uh, at this time is they definitely focus on America because, you know, we we have all eyes on it, at least in the entertainment industry for mm-hmm. the most part. And as the stories are being told, we have locations like Chicago and like the unfortunate wars that were happening in Cabrini Green where it's not even safe to walk around because there's just gang warfare left and right on open streets. Literally, you're not going to touch this block. You have Detroit, um, who lost a lot when, when they no longer had the options of an opportunity to be the gigantic automakers that they were, you know, and then this brings the dystopian movies that we had that Frank Miller bought us at one point regarding Robocop. Los Hmm. Angeles is not, Los Angeles is like that big old distraction where you have your happy ending movies, but you also have a whole bunch of hair metal bands. Now we have like, what we have a motley crew poison etc just coming out there and it's something to glam up why because it gets your eyes dilated injects you full of adrenaline and it keeps you moving but we don't forget that you know we have a lot of things that are happening people are still homeless people are still suffering in the background but we just need something to keep the glitz and glamour going miami itself cocaine cowboys as we were mentioning (laughs) before scarface left and right we have cartels moving in Mm -hmm. we have a cuban population that's growing as well um Especially because at that point in time, as we, those of us who have seen Scarface, but also know history, know that uh, Castro was like, you want refugees? No problem. You want people to come over? I'll send you everyone from the prisons and asylums, and you could have them. Good luck. Ship them on out. Have fun with them. But it changed the landscape of what it used to be before. Now we're moving from a nice resort area, um, you know, that magic city as it was once known, and now we're starting to see the growth of that industry. Um, and I think the last one I wanted to speak about personally as well is like New York. Once again, Wall Street. Wall Street was big. Drugs were big. Drinking was big. Partying was big because you worked hard all day. You deserve it and you have the money to prove it. And mm-hmm. so long as you're top dog, then all you're doing is reinforcing the fact that you should be where you currently are. 
and this is just mortal folks this isn't even like us talking about vampires and i think you know that that struck me a little bit going like i could see where if i created a character i'd be able to inject myself into it now all these locations and times that we've spoken about you know is there anything else in history outside of locations that kind of caught your attention that was also very particular to the 80s yeah the uh satanic panic right right the that was uh that was huge right like um it certainly had a huge impact on just the tabletop RPG industry, right? With D and D and all that. But let's let's take that that step outside of just our niche hobby. Like that was that was everywhere. Musicians being called, like, "Hey, you have all these secret messages played backwards," and all this um, uh, the these controversies uh, called up. I think that that led uh, to a lot of things that we saw. I think later in the nineties with the. Um, what was that? What, what was that parent group that was against music, like with explicit lyrics? You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. And then when Manson came out, everyone was mm-hmm. throwing a hissy fit about it. I remember. Mm-hmm. I remember. I just don't remember the group's name, but I remember watching those uh, those newscastings in the background as I was getting back from school. Uh, but the reason why I bring that up uh, is because, well, this is a vampire game, DJ. There's a satanic panic going about and people are like you worship the devil. You're some evil like black magic uh, practicing thing. It it can be a little bit dicey, like un- uh, hunters coming in from unexpected angles in an 80s game specifically. Like, do you, do you know what I mean? You mean like that one dude who's probably says like, this is exactly what I was waiting for. I done knew the devil was real and y'all mm-hmm. now see it. It's out uh-huh. there. It's in them <laughs> books and they just handing out them pamphlets in the form of D&D and these role playing books so that you could summon the devil himself. Ah. Uh, I will stop that, which also reminds me of the movie The Gate. Have you ever seen the movie The Gate? The Gate? You're yeah. talking about the ninth gate. No, no, no. That, although that was a good movie, too. It was an older movie with Steven Dorff in which this uh, young kid and his friend um, are digging about, and they find that this meteor kind of falls down in one kid's backyard. Uh, but the one kid's friend actually had like this one uh, album well, I guess this band had died because they were Satan worshippers or something at one point. And then as he goes through the album and he opens it up back when albums were vinyl and you got to like flip through a couple pages, mm-hmm. he got to see that all these symbolisms were there and he starts playing the album backwards. And it's incantation stuff, as you were mentioning. So I guess that's just another way they tried to inject it. Let me know. <laughs> Satanism is real, folks. Metal is what's the cause of it. This era is corrupt. <laughs> I need, I need I to check just, out that movie. I've never heard of that before. Oh, it's great. But you know what also kind of helped set that off? You know, offset it, I should say? I, I don't. Vampires are cool in the oh, 80s. How could I forget? How could I forget the bo- the Lost Boys in the right. near dark coming out at that point? And I don't think... Actually, no. Anne Rice must have started writing the vampire novels in the 80s if the this movies were being made in the 90s. A little bit before, but I'm almost certain you're also correct. That's where she started taking off a little bit uh, on that side. You know what also came out, which is also a very, very cheesy vampire movie? There's a movie. Oh, that's also true. Fright Night. We also uh, had Once Bitten with uh, Jim Carrey. Once Bitten? Once no, Bitten. I, I've not heard of this one. I thought so, I saw folks, every Jim Carrey movie. Right. So what we're doing, folks, is we're finding out that Brennan has not seen a lot of these movies and we're going to be spending an evening uh, probably on our show <laughs> watching this together just for the sheer purpose of, of educating him on every 
vampire movie that came out. But we just mentioned a couple, and that's more than we had zombie movies as we currently have them now, right? So imagine the 80s having this many vampire movies. Um, that's what kind of offsets it, but it's also kind of scary because this is almost like a Bram Stoker thing all over again, right? Especially when we're taking a look at the masquerade, we had the Dracula come out and it was like the best way to kind of protect the masquerade. But here in the eighties in Requiem, we have this, this pop culture influence of vampires being all cool, but you know, that's a dangerous thing because you might be able to feel that you might be able to mix in. And if you're clever enough as a vampire, you'd be able to pull that off. But what if you're not? How much more do you stand out? Or do you think because of the arrogance of it, you could see how many people would line step and just cross on over. And then they're like, wait a second, this is a real vampire. This ain't a fake vampire. Oh, that line? Um, look, I think any any vampire that's like, you come that close to them, to the point you make that realization, it's already too late. Most likely, if you're lucky, it's just going to be a Deva, and then you're like going to be alive for a while. But um, God, that's that's the concept of a good vampire movie you have there, DJ. Someone gets a little too close, gets wrapped in their coils, and then you gotta have the, the Frog Brothers coming in to save them, or to flip that around, you have a good plot against the player in this setting. Or really, any setting, I guess. But, hmm. uh... I can't... Man, ever since we started talking about that, I can't get out of my head the, the player's bloodline. Do you remember? Do you know the one I'm talking about? Which one? Remind me. They are the maquette bloodline that play up the pop culture vampire traits. Right. So they fit right. in perfectly with this, with this time frame. They might have come from this time frame now that I think about it. Um, you know, it's funny you should also mention that because there's also a very huge event uh, that happens that is also, in this book at least, is uh, referenced regarding the maquette, especially when it comes to Morbid. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, uh, AIDS. AIDS becomes a thing in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, it right. is. You can't. Oh, sorry. Go you... ahead. No, no. I was about to say, you're right. You can't, uh, you can't get away from it. And it's one of those things that uh, becomes very sombering and did happen, right? And mm -hmm. um, in Requiem or in your in the, the vampires, they deal with it as well, right? They deal with it a little bit differently, though, because um, you start noticing that vampires don't want to capture this because even though they may not be affected by it, it's poisoning of the well. You can, you're, you're still a vector potentially still be a vector for it. So you become uh -huh. much more selective or you hope that you're much more selective from the vessel that you're feeding from. But it, it goes to show that there's like this uh, macro and microcosm of what happens in the real world also does affect others, right? doesn't necessarily have to happen in your game. And I know that it's a, it's a downer folks to kind of listen to, but it's a real thing in terms of certain events do happen. It doesn't necessarily have to be this in your story, but it just goes to show that the, you know, them as being the ultimate predators or parasites, depending on how you see it, are affected mm -hmm. by what happens around them. And it's not just the good of it, right? It's not just the, the power um, that's going down. It's not the power that you could go up for grabs, but it's the power in terms of the fear that is being invoked. The propaganda that's happening during this era is at an all-time high. Not only because of, you know, the standard things that are spoken about AIDS and, you know, who's the one that's being a vector and blaming the gay community for it as the primary ones, um, or druggies for the most part, because you never knew whether or not the next person did or didn't have it. Mm -hmm. But this also does affect how, you know, this era was kind of run. You could get power, but there were also those that wanted to keep the power, and fear was a very big thing. Satanism, as we mentioned before, is a very big thing in terms of trying to scare people off from doing stuff. 
the the war on drugs that was brought on as well. Imagine that an abstract war on drugs. <laughs> Just war against all of them. But how are we doing oh, it? All of them. Uh, how are we doing it? <laughs> how are we doing it by bringing drugs into Los Angeles? That's how we're doing it. Wait, what right. CIA? No, just look over there. Don't look over here. No, don't look over it. You know, this is where you get your conspiracy theories as well. Mm-hmm. Our government went ahead and injected drugs into our communities to keep us where we are. But it's it's another fear that's being put in there, and it makes you wonder how to also incorporate it into the game. Uh, what do you think about that? Like, th- these themes that we're speaking about now, because we already have the pop. The pop is already out in the yeah. front. We know it's drugs, rock and roll, cocaine, money, greed, power. Um, but we're not talking as well, or, or now we're shifting gears into talking about those things that do control and slow people down, if they want to, right? Because it, you might not want to stop, and you might not even be cognizant of the things that are happening in there, but what are the things that you would see as obstacles being in the 80s? Uh, the, um, to kind of expand on what you were talking about with, uh, with AIDS in the 80s, um, we talked a bit about uh, COVID uh, a year or so ago on like the SP right. circle and like including that into the current events and it's all it all depends on your game. Some people aren't. Uh, some people play games uh, even very like serious drama heavy ones to not deal with actual day to day problems that people have and that was definitely one. And the AIDS still has that effect on like a lot of people. So including mm-hmm. that or not, that's that's a huge thing but um that not everyone has to uh, include with that. But it is a part of the 80s that you really can't talk about the 80s without referencing it in some degree, right? As we already have. Uh, but the in addition to that, um, you have... Um, there's still, uh, much like, like now, there's still a lot of uh, uh, police brutality or corruption cases that come up um rodney king was the the big one but i think that's like two years outside of this decade Mm -hmm. right but still it's still in that that time frame where it's still it's still relevant right we had the what was it central park five you remember Mm -hmm. what uh wasn't that in the 80s as well i believe so and i remember exactly what you're talking about the enemy like a netflix movie about it if i'm not mistaken maybe i haven't heard that although if they have i'm gonna i'm gonna check it out um, but the um, everything we've talked about could could be a, honestly like a threat in a in this game because everything that's good has uh, typically has that double edged sword to it, right? And it can be easy to turn things on people, and some of them are just outright threats already. Not like that. The the increased uh, look that a lot of industry has from the satanic panic or from like political corruption. Right, because that was a huge journalistic undertaking. If people are looking into that and are able to undercover that, um, what about that uh, that uh, that local Invictus uh, Venture or Deva that's making a lot of connections and making a lot of moves? That stuff is still there. And while the eighties are a great time for that to happen, it also increases your chances of being found. Right. And uh, it's a juxtaposition, though, because, yeah, you could be found, but, you know, one of the things that this book mentions, and we have mentioned before, vampires are popular. There's a thinner masquerade as well. Right? A lot of people are dressed in pale face. I know there's a lot of folks that you could probably get away with looking like a ghoul. I don't mean Mm -hmm. ghoul retainer, but like an actual, like, Nosferatu. Most Nosferatus are probably willing to even risk it, as we were talking about. And it always feels 
you know, not to, to, to interrupt you there, but as we keep talking about this, you know, I hope the audience understands, like, it almost feels like you're dancing on the blade's edge. Right? That line between all that power in the world mixed with the, the steep slope of what the consequences are for, for just tipping on over. You wanted to know that you have hunters coming out because there's so many things coming after you because now there's real reasons for them to come after you, but you're hiding behind the fact that vampires are cool and it's very easy for you to stay out a little bit longer. And so long as you don't get caught, right, which is usually the story we try to tell, then you should be fine. You're holding these grand decadent parties where you're just providing a whole bunch of vessels and it's an orgy, but what if one of them unfortunately was contaminated? Um, oh. Right, Andrew was affected by that affliction, and now you've just spread that to your entire party as well. Are you willing to risk it? Do you? What do you do then? Um, and I feel like those types of stories kind of like come to mind, mm -hmm. so to speak. But I'm sorry to interrupt. You were saying, Brent. Oh, I've I've lost it already. I'm sorry, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a thing, right? Um. And I guess it's because we always get like entrapped with them. When Brendan and I speak, um, even off uh, the cast, we, we usually have like these these talks about like, oh man, these these stories would be cool to tell. What's going on in the background? And we like to like um, gather together and brainstorm here. But let's talk about certain parts of like vampire, right? In terms of covenants as well as like clans. Are there any covenants or clans? So let's choose one, right? One of each. Uh, a covenant in the clan that struck you in terms of how it was presented in the book or like gives you an idea of how they play out in the 80s or how they would participate. I feel like Carthians honestly are are some of the ones that would have like a lot of, of growth at this point because we have um, at this time period, the Carthians are all about like like uh, going through like in, enacting change largely through like rage. Right. And in this time period, we had, uh, well, the I, I, I almost want to say the collapse of the the manufacturing industry in America. Right. But mm -hmm. that's when a lot of factories started closing domestic doors and opening them up in in Mexico or in Asia. Right. And from all these blue collar workers that are now being uh, put off, like uh, are losing their jobs, all these white collar workers are. Um, are getting uh, all these pay raises for cutting, saving all these money, right? All these bonuses um, mm -hmm. that provided a lot of fertile ground for the Carthy. Right. Those those the those political and like those social upheavals they are always going to be a, a fertile ground for a Carthian movement. Um, God, and even as I say that, there's still other things like we've already talked about the Iran-Contra scandal. We've not even talked about the Cold War that that popped up. The 80s, I feel like more than a lot of other decades were incredibly politically active. Uh, and that's like a hotbed for like a Carthian. Right. Right. And it's a hotbed for a Carthian because you're also facing, once again, this book fo focuses on the United States being the primary fertile ground, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But there's like ultra conservatism that's happening in the background right and as you mentioned fight the power or are you part of the power because mm -hmm. parthians are not about just fighting the power power it's about using mortal institutions in a vampiric way to be able mm -hmm. to progress forward and do something different so as much as as folks who Human may or may not solutions have lived, to vampiric problems 
one right. might say. <laughs> right, right. So, you know, I think this is a good, uh, I think that's a good pick as a, as a company uh-huh. to kind of strike out and, and bring out because, yes, vampires could be sons of bitches too, folks. And they did take advantage while they could, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with that. I chose the Invictus on the other hand, though, because I liked that as a, as a covenant group, they got two things to worry about, right? On one end, there's a lot of money being brought in. There's a lot of control that they have that they'd be able to work over. But the other hand is they are the caretakers of the masquerade. They are the caretakers of that tradition. And there's a lot to clean up after. Mm-hmm. As we were talking about their successes. You can only imagine how many bodies had to go. If one of the vessels, for whatever reason, was not fit, well, that party has to go, oh, I burn the entire party down. Who's going to cover up? But don't worry about it. We'll just blink. It's like uh, Chappelle said, sprinkle some crack over it. That's right. He'll, he'll get back up or we'll cover it up. Don't worry about it. We could cover it up using all types of things now. Videotapes, not the best at that time. Get rid of it as well. Or we can manufacture it, make it look like something altogether different. But I feel that they had a lot more covering up to do this time around because of the way the masquerade was kind of um, manipulated or maybe not manipulated, they have to do a lot of work. So that kind of drew my attention because I felt that that would be a challenging um, covenant to kind of work with. It's not as stable as I see them in, in modern. Not to say it's a thing, right, folks, because we obviously know that any player could change your game around and the way that information is presented always puts them in the best light. But I feel here that uh, they do two things. They give you the best and the worst of, and I think that for the Invictus, that kind of shows there. What about for a clan? What clan uh, like struck your your fancy? Uh, the the maquette, honestly, because uh, they had a um, they had a good point for this time frame that I didn't really consider. Because anytime I think uh, uh, anything that's heavy occult in Requiem, there's usually maquette around the edges of it, right? Mo- mm-hmm. More than any other clan. Um, but in this time frame, that's that's declining. That's that's going away. It's it's less it's less uh, Doctor Strange, more 007, right? Not just uh, like uh like CIA spies, but um, uh, it, it's that whole like even industrial espionage like like theme that uh, was going on. Everyone's trying to get one up on each other, right? In in the eighties, and that's across all like <laughs> I feel like it's a it was across a lot of uh, a mortal industry, right? So that the fertile fertile ground for maquette. Uh, to pick from in a huge change. Do you see what I mean? You're giving me a look like you like I, you don't know what I mean. Oh, definitely not. I'm actually agreeing with you here because I would say it's it's things that we've seen before, but I feel that it just gets highlighted. And as you're speaking about it, I'm like, yeah, that completely makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it completely makes sense because it's a uh, high risk. You know, high risk, high reward in terms of what pays off. Do they get to to pull off their mission or not? Do they get caught? Um, and it's not just in the mortal world, as you were mentioning, but that cold war between, you know, what side are you on? What are you flipping over? And it only feels like it just, I don't know. I, like I was mentioning before, I, I just think it highlights everything. It feels like you're just putting on the dilations and you see the eyes just kind of pop out. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not saying at all that like, uh, CIA spies were recruited by Maquette at all, but it's just that, that feeling, that huge little theme of the eighties. Uh, elicited that from that clan. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I'll counter, and I will say Nosferatu on my end. Ooh, okay. All, Nosferatu the, are always the, the underdog and controversial choice. I mean, I guess you're right. I really didn't think about it that way, but what I liked about it more is um, here they get to 
openly ride more fear than they've probably been able to soak in before. We've had good movies come out of the eighties, right? We talked about, we, we have like mm-hmm. what evil dead one, two, we have uh <laughs> poltergeist as well. At one point, mm-hmm. um, also rear its head. And we have a lot of things that are happening. Once again, Satan is big folks. So it's not just movies, but as we were mentioning, the fear of a lot of things happening, um, only helps fuel their fire. And I think this is another thing that kind of just draws the attention to them um, in terms of being a more effective, I wouldn't say effective clan, but one where it'd be fun to play, where you get to openly rebel or at least show what you've got. Another thing Mm -hmm. is also the skin deep frustration that they currently have here is appearance isn't a thing, but especially when everyone looks a little bit different and the whole point is to strike yourself out as different because you're no longer in the 70s. You're not trying to make a name for yourself. Uh, That's kind of what caught my attention. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's one of the things that I wanted to bring up that, um, I feel like the eighties had a very big, like superficial element to it, right? Like plastic surgery getting, getting huge, um, cosmetic companies coming more and more popular and that only highlighting the, the struggle for Nosferatu across the board. Agreed. Agreed. And I guess that kind of brings us up to. As we mentioned, folks, this is kind of like a short book because as we go through it, this book kind of just gives you touch and go on like what you would kind of do to play in the 80s, right? There is mm-hmm. a section in the back of the book that actually speaks um, about a short chronicle that does take place in, in uh, Chicago with a Cartesian prince, and it all takes place in Cabrini Green because you might as well just be thrown into the shit for like a better term and <laughs> fight your way out of it, right? Yeah. Because it's all about the greed. What do you get out of it in the end? But I think if we were to focus on anything towards the end of like this one particular podcast or this book, what kind of things would you tell, or rather let me rephrase that, my apologies, what kind of stories do you feel you'd be able to tell regarding the 80s? After everything that we've discussed right now, what draws your attention to feel like you could tell a story in the 80s, or how do you feel that would play out? I definitely feel it lends itself to like the, the underdog story. Um I don't really want to draw a parallel between like Karate Kid and a vampire game, but in, in only in a very loose sense of like that, that kid who um, was new to everything, that underdog tale to it. Right. What I mean by that is uh, specifically like focusing on neonates embraced in the 80s coming up, uh, being able to leverage all these societal uh, changes in this this breakneck speed that's going through the 80s. And trying to walk that tightrope of uh, being useful, being powerful, but not um, going too far one direction to have the vampire establishment knock them down. I could see that. I think for me to layer onto what you said, if I was playing or even running a game in the 80s in Requiem, it feels like a movie, to be honest. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because experience has kind of ruined me that way, watching as many 80s movies that we have. There's, <laughs> always, there's, there's like that trope. There's the archetype where it's always like there's a happy ending at the end. There's that zany adventure. There's your montage of what's happening. But overall, everything just seems so exaggerated. I think that's a better term for it. I think it's so exaggerated. Yes. It feels like everything that happens in the background is exaggerated. Your parties are way exaggerated. The amount of cocaine that <laughs> Al Pacino seems to be snorting in Scarface exaggerated. The ultra violence from like the movies that we've also seen, like Rambo just infinitely shooting 
you know, mm-hmm. that MC just under his arm and just like Robo going to town. being shot to literal pieces. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that was a uh, rip officer Murphy. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> right. But I, I do feel that that's a bigger thing. And I think the way that the stories are presented kind of do it that way. And it's hard not to try to tell a story that doesn't feel exaggerated because the way the book is written, I think one of the caveats that should be spoken about is the book tells you that it's not exactly the 80s. It's the feel of the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I think in that sense, the way that the book was written, it does portray it because as I tried thinking about how I would tell an 80s or, you know, a new wave, quote unquote, um, story, it have to be over the top. It has to be over the top and one of two things end up happening. You either succeed or you burn very badly. Or you become like Robert Downey Jr. in his early space of the career after he got done with the 80s, right? Before he made his comeback. I, I was, I was going to say uh, Jordan Belfort at the end of... Ooh. Wolf of Wall Street. This is also true. This is also true. Um, but yeah, I think that that kind of draws the attention to it, folks, because it, it seems like it, it uh, does that. I do want to mention one thing, though. Mm-hmm. For those of you who are familiar and need another reference, as I was just thinking about it, there's a comic book called Deadly Class by Rick Remender. Um, it was actually also a show like for one season or two on sci-fi, and it's about like these yeah. kids that, that were taken to an assassination school. Right. And they would, uh, they would be like your, your league of, of, uh, league of assassins or league of shadows that would take down these corrupt, uh, corrupt officials. But this all happened in the eighties. And I think it, it would be a perfect setting for me because it's all these kids that have the opportunity to take what's theirs because they don't have anything at all. And it's fast and hard and they're all at odds with each other. And it now reminds me more of the intro story more than anything else. <laughs> but as it, as it almost draws us near the conclusion, the, the question really comes down to, is the book worth it? What are your thoughts? I think it, I think it's definitely worth it in the same vein as the Dark Era books are. Um, I, I wouldn't say this is like an absolute must buy, um, but if you are looking to run a um, like a, a historical piece, uh, if you are wanting on running a uh, wanting to run a game that's set in the eighties, definitely pick this one up. I think it would be a lot of fun. Or even if you were just wanting to run like a different. Uh, just a different time period because, well, everyone always runs modern time <laughs> games. It gets a this little true. that not really it gets boring, but going into that different time period, uh, even if it's just 40 years removed, 20 years removed, whatever, uh, can add a lot of fun to a lot of games. Agreed. Um, I'm also of the same mind. I don't think it's a necessarily must must buy. Uh, it mm-hmm. definitely has its niche, meaning if you wanted to run it within the vein of telling it either as a flashback, right? As a fog of ages type of thing, or just doing a couple, I would probably run like two, three sessions of it and then fast forward into the future mm-hmm. um, to kind of give an idea for it. Um, I think I'd probably, it's definitely worth the pickup as a PDF. Uh, if you're a completionist, definitely get the book, but otherwise for our listeners, if, if you're even wanting to cruise through it, it definitely is at least a worthy of a PDF pickup. Mm. Um, it also a, has a, a bunch of uh, smaller things like devotion sprinkled uh, throughout it. So if you're, uh, wanting to collect all of them, you know, got to catch them all Pokemon style for Requiem devotions. Uh, uh, you can pick this one up too. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. So that being the case, folks, I think that, uh, it's a solid read for us, uh, because it made us think about how we would run a game within that era. And, you know, we at least have to give thanks, right? Because this is a good groundwork for the stuff that we see in the future with Chronicles of Darkness in terms of dark eras. Um, but definitely at least worth the read. Um, 
probably not worth the, the buy of the book itself in terms of having the physical copy, but definitely worth picking up the PDF and appreciating the knowledge that's laid in within. Um, but yeah. So as we mentioned to you before, it's a, it's a very short book. It's about 81 pages. There's a chronicle in the back for those of you who do want to run it and need uh, uh, some ideas about what types of characters you would run. But that'll that'll be pretty much be it. So that being the case, folks, we thank you for uh, for spending time with us. Brennan, thank you for joining me in this podcast. Yep. Thank you for uh, for hosting it. No problem. And um, next week, what will probably end up happening, or rather, I should say next time we cast uh, Bob may or may not have consumed my soul. But we'll uh, we'll wait to see if that happens to be the case. Uh, well, um, I always pictured him as the Kurgan, so I guess that makes sense. Oh, uh, jeez, I'm in for a... Why won't anyone fight me? I'll fight you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I could crap. almost see Bob say, I wouldn't be surprised if he adds that as a snippet at the end. All right, folks. <laughs> but thank you so much. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you next time. See ya. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you like what you heard and want to support us, please share it with others or leave a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.